Good evening. We'll begin our study in 2 Samuel 18 through uh, pretty much 19 this evening. Just looking at a few passages to set the context uh, as a part of the Old Testament study. In Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 and verse 13, that Jeremiah the prophet made the statement, For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first, what? Old. He made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. You know, at the time that Jeremiah the prophet made that statement, when he was looking ahead to that new covenant that God was going to make with Israel, at the time he made that statement, he was under that old covenant. And it was... Uh, he was implying that this is the one I'm under is old and it's decaying and waxing old and it will vanish when that new covenant comes. Let me give you an illustration. I had an eye exam yesterday. If I were to get a new pair, say I'm getting a new pair, a new pair of glasses next week, I'm implying, you know, these are my old ones and these are going to go away next week and I'll no longer be under the old glasses. In Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 12, the writer says, for the priesthood being changed, you know, we're looking at what Zadok the priest, of, of, of Levitical priest, Jesus, of course, is our high priest, Christian's high priest. He's after the order of Melchizedek. But the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the, what? Of the law. So the law changed. Jeremiah looked ahead and said, a new covenant's coming. The one he was under was... Uh, ready to vanish away, is, is getting old, ready to vanish away. When the law came, when Jesus' covenant came, th there was a change in the law. And in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul said, Wherefore, my brethren, you are also become dead to the law by the body of Christ. And then he says, he describes in that context of Romans 7, what law he's referring to. Back down in verse 7, he says, I would have known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet and so the law that we are dead to is that old covenant law it vanished when jesus brought his new covenant we're now under law to christ the law itself changed but in romans 15 verse 4 the things that were written aforetime that we're studying this evening they're written for our uh, for our admonition for our learning you know when we look back at david and we'll look at that this evening um, about his Trust in God, understand that he, he disobeyed God and he was suffering consequences for his sins, but he did have great trust in God. And when we look at a, a man like that that was going through so much trial, yet he, he maintained trust in God, that is comforting. Second Timothy 3.16, all Scripture, what we're reading this evening, the New Testament, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable. We can look at it and uh, uh, gain insight, gain understanding. Just an application for today. Study the Old Testament story carefully. I'm saying that to me also. Second Timothy 2.15 Give diligence and study to show yourself approved. Rightly handle the Word of God. Study the Old Testament story carefully. Draw every single application. Every, make every single proper inference we can from the Scriptures. Because they're profitable, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. But consider, 
you know, we are, we're studying an account that do we necessarily know uh, what the people in the story actually knew and understood themselves? Like David's made the comment before about, you know, we can't get inside someone's brain um, in, a, in a previous study. You know, so we don't necessarily know what they're, they're thinking. Uh, do we really know the motives that are not recorded for us? Am I correctly applying Old Testament law to the event that I'm looking at? Just consider the fact that God's point for giving us what we have, His point for the record may not be the point we're intent on making. So we just want to make sure that we handle the Word of God properly. And again, I'm saying that to me also. In review, what were the consequences of David's sin? I have a passage of Scripture on the screen, but what were the consequences of David's sin with Bathsheba? and killing Uriah, her husband. That's, that's the main thing we're, we're looking at. The sword would not depart from your house. And we'll see that this evening. Uh, the sword is in David's house. So he said, you've despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. You've killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword, has taken his wife to be thy wife, has slain him with a sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. And then at the end he said, Howbeit because of this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, so the child would die. Let me ask you some questions in review. When David told Zadok to return the ark to Jerusalem, how would you describe David's level of trust and his understanding of God's power? So David is, is talking to Zadok. and He's got the ark of the covenant. He says, no, take that back. What do you remember about what David said that, just, that illustrates to us great trust in God and understanding that God is in control? What do you remember that he said? Uh, he said, if the Lord delight in me he'll bring me back right but if not you know let him do according to his will so David knew and understood that God was in control who were David's spies that he sent uh, back to the land to to uh, get bring in help bring information back to him from Absalom who were his spies well it was Zadok's son Ahimeaz and Abiathar's son Jonathan and also, who? Who was the advisor that he sent back? Hushai, okay. Chapter 16. Who is the man that cursed David as David was leaving the city? Shimei. What was David's attitude toward this man's cursing? Yeah, God, you know, uh, let him alone. You know, God has bid him curse. What counsel did Absalom take? You remember, he, uh, Absalom had a couple of counselors, Ahithophel and Hushai, and he was saying, basically, what do I need to do with David? Whose counsel did he take? Hushai's, okay. Whose counsel, according to 2 Samuel 17 and verse 14, whose counsel was actually good from a human tactical standpoint? Ahithophel's. In fact, that passage even says that God said it was good. 
You know, if you were thinking from a human standpoint of a, an advisor to a king on, or, or a ruler on what to do in battle, you know, Ahithophel's counsel was good. In chapter 17, verse 14, who had appointed the defeat, who, who had appointed to defeat the counsel of Ahithophel and bring evil upon Absalom? God. So God had planned it. God was appointing it. Who did Absalom make captain in the place of Joab? Um, okay. Amasa, Amasa. All right. One application for today. Look with me at Psalm 3. Again, you know, we've been talking about David's trust in God. And let's just read something here to illustrate this. The heading of this psalm, Psalm 3, references that it was written because of his when he fled from Absalom, his son. Lord, how are they that are increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be that say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. I laid me down and slept. I wait for the Lord sustain me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. You know, I'm thinking about that statement. I don't know if this is what David was referring to, but you remember Ahithophel's counsel was that, you know, he would lead 12,000 men and be like a spearhead to, to target David and get David. But then Hushai's counsel was what? Right? So David's, several things in what Hushai said. You know, David's a man of war. And that uh, you know, one of the things that was interesting to me that uh, when Absalom's men see a cry, there's a cry in the battle, they'll, they'll uh, become afraid. You know, David's strong. He, he's a man of war. They'll fear and then, you know, that'll, that'll disrupt their army. But then Hushai, Hushai's uh, advice further was that what everyone, I take it from Dan to Beersheba, go out. Absalom, you lead. You lead the battle. And so in thinking about that idea of, you know, not just, say, 12,000 people, but, you know, basically Israel led by Absalom, you know, ten here in this psalm, I'm not, I'll, I'll not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, Lord, save me, O my God, for Thou hast smitten all my enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon the people. And so, just an application, just considering in that psalm and in this this account, David's continued trust in God, even when things turned against him. You know, we should have consolation and trust in God. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13 and uh, uh, verse 5 and 6. Let your conversation, let your manner of life, in other words, be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So just a lesson that we have from David. That although things are are against us, the odds are against us, you know, the Lord is with us and we can take comfort and trust in that. Just a chart on the, the screen with some family ties. You know, in our lesson this evening, it mentions Amasa. He was the son of Abigail, 
Abigail was Zeruiah's sister. Zeruiah was one of David's, uh, let's see, I'm sorry, Zeruiah was David's sister. So Abigail's Zeruiah's sister. Zeruiah uh, was, was David's sister. And Amasa is Abigail's son. In our text this evening, any comments before we get into the lesson? In 2 Samuel 18, we'll begin looking at Absalom's defeat. David numbers the people, puts captains over them. He has three captains, uh, Joab, Abishai, and Ittai the Gittite. David said he, he wanted to go to battle, but the people said, no, no, we can't have you do that. David, you know, you're worth 10,000 of us. And if, uh, uh, you know, the enemy's not going to care about uh, care about us. Uh, but David, you know, what you can do is you can just uh, uh, wish us well. T- take us out of the city as we leave. And so, but also he gave a charge to his captains. We'll look at that as in our reading. Chapter 18, David numbered the people that were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. And David sent forth a third part of the people under the hand of Joab and a third part under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and a third part under the hand of Ittai, the Gittite. And the the king said unto the people, I will surely go forth with you myself also. But the people answered, Thou shalt not go forth, for... If we flee away, they will not care for us. Neither will, if half of us die, will they care for us. Now thou art worth 10,000 of us. Therefore now it is better that thou succor us out of the city. And the king said unto them, What seemeth you best, I'll do. And the king stood by the gate side, and all the people came out by hundreds and by thousands. And the king commanded Joab, he commanded Joab and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake, with a young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom. Okay, so in the battle that followed, 20,000 men of Israel died, and Israel was beaten before David. In verse 6, So the people went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was in the wood of Ephraim. Battle was in the wood of Ephraim. According to 2 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 26, Israel was encamped in Gilead on the east side of the Jordan. Ephraim is on the west side of the Jordan. The question is, did the armies cross west over Jordan back to Ephraim, or was there possibly a forest in Gilead on the east side of Jordan that was named for Ephraim? I don't know. Uh, if you have strong feelings over that, just speak up, but uh, otherwise I'll let you review the commentaries and the maps in that regard and, and uh, make your decision on that. I'm not sure. He goes on to say, where the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David, and there was there a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men. For the battle was scattered over the face of all the country, and the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. The woods devoured more than the sword. It looks like the woods is... Uh, put in contrast with a sword. Were the woods the actual agent of their death rather than the sword? I don't know. Uh, was there something about the woods that claimed more people than the sword itself? In other words, or is it maybe that most of the people died in the woods? Again, I'm not sure. I'm not certain. You know, when we think about Absalom dying, you know, might we say in a figure 
that the tree killed Absalom. <laughs> you know, understand that the people, the Joab and his men, uh, killed Absalom, but the tree hung him. And maybe there might be a figure in which you could say, you know, the tree killed him, or say the forest killed him. But I don't know uh, the full explanation of how that more that the the uh, the woods killed more than the sword, other than maybe there was something uh, inherent in the in the environment of the woods that caused the demise of soldiers, or rather maybe that most of them died in the woods. Any again, any strong feelings on an explanation for that statement? Okay, in the next section of our study, Absalom saw David's servants and as he rode on his uh, mule, his head caught in an oak. A certain man saw him. And we're going to look more about that man, that certain man that saw him and went back and told Joab. And Joab asked the man, why, didn't he, why did you not kill him? You, you saw Absalom hung in the tree and you didn't do anything about that? And then he, he, we'll look more at the, uh, the discussion that... Uh, that he had uh, with Joab. So let's begin in verse 9. And Absalom met the servants of David, and Absalom rode upon a mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great oak, and his head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between heaven and earth, and the mule that was under him went out, went away. And a certain man saw it, and told Joab, and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak. And Joab said unto the man that told him, and behold, thou sawest him, and why dost thou not smite him there to the ground? And I would have given thee ten shekels of silver in a girdle. And the man said unto Joab, Though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in mine hand, would I not put forth mine hand against the king's son? For in our hearing the king charged thee, and Abishai, and Ittai, saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise I should have wrought falsehood against mine own life. For there's no matter here from the king, and thou thyself would have set thyself against me. You wouldn't have stood up for me. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't have been able to stand. Then Joab said, I may not tarry thus with thee. That's, that's, that's enough of this discussion. And he took the darts, three darts in his hand, thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men that would bear Joab's armor compassed about, went all around him and smote Absalom and slew him. One application for today. You know, it says here that a certain man saw this. Unnamed. You know, we don't know who he was. But he, in effect, stood up to Joab and reminded Joab of what the king said. You know, we all heard. Everyone heard what the king ordered, what the king commanded. He said, you know, don't, don't, harm, don't harm Absalom. So an application I, I thought of for today is, be that certain man. Be that certain man to whom what the Lord says matters. And that, you know, we, we'd rather obey what the Lord says and be just, you know, that certain man that's, un, that's known only to God rather than be some big name who disobeys the God of heaven. You know, be that certain man. Remember also the man born blind in John chapter 9. You remember how that, that Jesus healed this blind man and the blind man was talking to the, the Jews and he's, he was saying, you don't know who, wh where this man is from? You know, he healed me. My blind, no one's heard about this since the beginning of the world. And you, he, he can't do what he's doing unless God's with him. And, 
And they said, you know, are you born in sin? Are you teaching us? And they cast him out of the synagogue. But here's this blind man. Don't know his name. Here's this certain man. Don't know his name. But they were willing to, to look at the evidence, look at the commandments, and go from there with that. Look at Absalom's, Absalom's defeat in 2 Samuel chapter 18 uh, in verse 16. Any comments that you might have? So Joab sounded the trumpet. He drew the people back from fighting against Israel after Absalom's death. There's no reason to go on now. Absalom's men fled the battlefield and they cast Absalom into a pit. Joab blew the trumpet and the people returned from pursuing Israel for Joab held back the people. And they took Absalom and cast him in a great pit in the wood and laid a very great heap of stones upon him. And all Israel fled, one to his, everyone to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and reared up for himself a pillar which is in the king's dale. And he said, for he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name. And it is called unto this day, Absalom's place. So in Absalom's life, he had set up a stone uh, for his memory. Second Samuel chapter 14, verse 27, tells us about what about Absalom and his, uh, in regard to his family. Three sons, okay, three sons and a daughter. I take it that the significance of that being mentioned here, that he, that he reared up a pillar for his name, I take it that the significance of that is that uh, I, the, the sons died. But I did wonder, you know, could it be, might it be, that he set up the monument before he even had children uh, for his name? I, I don't know, but it, I, I take it because of, because of verse 18, that his sons did die. Any other comments? Okay, so in this next section, David grieves for his son Absalom. A couple of runners are sent. Uh, Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok the priest, he wanted to bring the king tidings that God had delivered David from his enemies, but Joab wouldn't permit Ahimeaz to go Instead, he, he chose a Cushite to go and run and, and send David the word that his enemies were dead. And, but Ahimeaz kept on at Joab and said, you know, let me go. And finally, you know, okay, he, he let him go. And the, the, two, the two ran. Ahimeaz overran the Cushite, came to David first. David saw him coming, said, ah, good man. You know, he's got good tidings. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in a moment. But then he came and he, he relayed to David about the battle and how that uh, the battle was won, but he couldn't explain or he, did, he, he didn't admit about uh, uh, the, uh, the Absalom's condition. And then David asked the Cushite. So let's, let's begin reading uh, this, uh, the remainder of this chapter. Then said Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok, let me now run and bear the king tidings, how that the Lord hath avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said unto him, Thou shalt not bear tidings this day, but thou shalt bear tidings another day. But this day thou shalt not shalt bear no tidings, because the king's son is dead. <clears throat> so at the end of verse 19, Ahimeaz knew that the Lord had avenged him of his enemies. And at the end of verse 20, Joab is telling Ahimeaz, Joab, uh, the king's son is dead. Absalom is dead. So he knows that. 
Then said Joab to Cushai, Go tell the king what thou hast seen. And Cushai bowed himself unto Joab and ran. Then went Ahimeaz the son of Zadok yet, yet again, then said Ahimeaz the son of Zadok yet again to Joab, But howsoever let me, I pray thee, also run after the Cushai. And Joab said, Wherefore wilt thou run, my son, seeing that thou hast no tidings ready? But howsoever, he said, let me run. And he said unto him, Run. And Ahimeaz ran by the way of the plain and overran Cushai. And David sat between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate of the wall and lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man running alone. And the watchman cried and told the king, and the king said, If he be alone, there is tidings in his mouth. And if he and he came apace and drew near, and the watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called unto the, unto the porter and said, Behold, another man running alone. And the king said, He also bringeth tidings. And the watchman said, Methinketh the running of the foremost is like the running of Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He's a good man, and cometh with good tidings. And Ahimeaz called. And maybe, maybe from verse 27, maybe that, that since Ahimeaz was known as one to bring good tidings, maybe that would be why Joab did not send him in, back in verse 20. You know, you'll, you can bring tidings another day. Not today. The king's son is dead. Well, in verse 28, And Hamiaz called and said to the king, All is well. And he fell down to the earth upon his face before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which has delivered up the, man, up the men that lifted up their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Hamiaz answered, Joab sent the king's servant, and me thy servant. I saw a great tumult, and I, I knew not what it was. I take it that he was, uh, he was dodging that question from, from the king, from, from David, because, again, verse 19 and 20, he knew that God had avenged his enemies. Joab said the king's son is dead. Um, but any comments on that, on verse 29, that statement that he makes there? And the king said unto him, Turn aside and stand here. And he turned aside and stood still. And behold, Cushai came. And Cushai said, Tidings, my lord, the king, for the Lord hath avenged thee this day of all them that rose up against thee. And the king said unto Cushai, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, The enemies of my lord, the king, and all that rise up against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. And so here, David knows and uh, understands that, uh, that his son is dead. And I see that I, sh I should have uh, written my, my uh, titles just a little bit better. I was going to read uh, verse 33 uh, into the next section, but we'll go ahead and read verse 33. And the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And so he went and thus said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. And so David hears the tidings and he, he grieves over his son. Just as a reminder, what had the Lord told David back in 2 Samuel 12 and verse 10? You know, when he killed Uriah, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, what was that first thing that the Lord told David? The sword won't depart from your house. And here we see it alive and well in David's house. Well, in 
in uh, chapter 19, David was moved, wishing he died for Absalom. And everyone in the city, you know, was going about, you might say, on pins and needles. They were all uh, quiet, crept in the city that day. The victory was turned into mourning because the king was weeping for his son. Joab came to the king, told him that he had shamed his servants. And he, he said, you know, you love your enemies more than your friends. And if, if everyone had died except for Absalom, you would have been glad. <laughs> and uh, Joab counseled the king to go and speak comfortably to his servants. He said, if you don't do that, no one's going to stay with you. And so David did go to the gate and sit, and the people came. But in chapter 19, and it was told Joab, Behold, the king weepeth and mourneth for Absalom, and the victory that day was turned into mourning unto all the people. For the people heard say that that day how the king was grieved for his son. And the people gathered him by stealth that day into the city, as people being ashamed still away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And Joab came into the house unto the king and said, Thou hast shamed us this day. Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants, which this day have saved thy life, and the lives of thy sons and thy daughters, and the lives of thy wives and the lives of thy concubines, in that thou lovest thine enemies and hatest thy friends. For thou hast declared this day that thou regardest neither princes nor servants. For this day I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all we had died this day, then it had pleased thee well. Now therefore arise, go forth and speak comfortably unto thy servants. For I swear by the Lord, if thou go not forth, there will not tarry one, one with thee this night. And that will be worse unto thee than all the evil that befell thee from thy youth until now. And the king arose and sat in the gate and they told all the people, saying, Behold, the king doth sit in the gate. And all the people came before the king, for Israel had fled every man to his tent. <clears throat> one thing, one application I thought about in regard to Joab's statement to the king, you know, maybe Joab's words need some revision, but for the sake of David's kingdom, he needed to speak. He needed to... Uh, uh, and it, it, I take it his counsel is wise. David, you need to consider your people. Go and to appear before them, comfort them, let them know that you're there. Maybe, again, maybe Joab's words need a revision. But one thing I, I think about, understand we need to speak the truth in love and we need to say the right things in the right way, but we need to speak the truth in love. And we cannot speak the truth in love without actually speaking. So that is one good thing. Joab spoke to David. He didn't just let it be. He spoke to David. You know, okay, so he's going to lose his kingdom. Things are going, bad things are going to befall him. Just don't say anything. No, but yes, speak the truth in love. But we've got to speak in order to speak the truth in love. Remember Nathan the prophet. As Nathan came to David. Nothing at all uh, objectionable about Nathan's interaction with David. But he said, thou art the man. You know, we need to speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. Any comments before we go on in chapter 19? In the next section, everyone was at strife in the land saying that the king, you know, the king has saved us. But, and he's fled out of the land. You know, now that Absalom is dead, you know, there's no reason for him to be gone. Who's going to bring him back? 
And so in verse 9, And all the people were at strife throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king saved us out of the hand of our enemies, and he delivered us out of the hand of the Philistines. And now he's fled out of the land for Absalom. And Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now therefore, why speak you not a word of bringing the king back? In verses 11 through 15, David hears this rumor that people are saying. And so he sent word to the priest asking why Judah was the last to bring him home. You know, here's all of Israel talking about the need to bring me back. You know, what about my own brethren, my flesh and blood? And notice, it's interesting the, the, the way that the Bible describes David's words as they got back to the people of Judah. That David bowed the heart of all Judah. Let's look at how the text puts that in verse 11. And King David sent to Zadok and to Abiathar the priest, saying, speaking to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house? Seeing the speech of all Israel has come to the king, even to his house. I've got the rumor. Everyone's saying it, but except you, my own people, my own flesh and blood. You're my brethren. You're my bones and flesh. Wherefore, then are you the last to bring back the king? And say you to Amasa, Art thou not of my bone and of my flesh? God do so to me, and more also, if thou be not captain of the host before me continually in the room of Joab. So Amasa, you're taking the place of Joab. And he bowed the heart of all the men of, Israel, of Judah, even as the heart of one man, so that they sent this word unto the king, Return thou and all thy servants. So the king returned and came to Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal, to go and meet the king, to conduct the king over Jordan. He bowed the heart of all the Judah, just like it was one man. <laughs> you can just picture the whole nation. Uh, you, know, you know, yes, we'll do that. Come back, King David. Just an application for today. I was thinking a soft tongue breaks the bone. Here's, you know, here's David. You know, he just sends word you know, to the people. And just his word, you know, bring me back. You know, you're my flesh and blown. What's going on? And he bows the, the heart of the nation with his word. Oh. Let's see. Just a, as before we go into this next section of uh, them bringing him home. Let's see. Just a, uh, looking at a map. I've got it circled here, the, the area of Jerusalem and Gilgal uh, that, we're, that uh, I believe we're discussing in this section of Scripture. Okay, in chapter 19 and verse 16. Shimei, uh, there's several people that come to meet David. Shimei, Mephibosheth, and Barzillai. So Shimei comes to meet David with a, a crowd of people, Shimei falls down before the king and he confesses his sin. Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, asked, shouldn't he be put to death? You know, he cursed the Lord's anointed. And David said, no, no, no one will be put to death today. It's interesting how that David made the comment, don't, don't I know that I'm king? <laughs> uh, I realize this, but no one's going to die today. In verse 16, And Shimei, the son of Jirah, a Benjamite, which was of Bahurim, hasted and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons and twenty servants with him. And they went over Jordan before the king. And there went over a ferry boat to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good 
And Shimei, the son of Jerah, fell down before the king, and he was come over Jordan, and said unto the king, Let not my lord impute iniquity unto me, neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely the day that my lord the king went out of Jerusalem, that the king should take it to his heart. For thy servant doth know that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I am come, I am come the first this day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord the king. And Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that this day should be, you should be adversaries unto me? Shall there be any man put to death this day in Israel? For do not I know that I'm, I am this day king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shimei, Thou shalt not die. And the king swore unto him. And then Mephibosheth comes to meet him, meet the king. And the king asked him, Mephibosheth, why didn't you go out with me at the beginning? Mephibosheth had planned to. But he had told his servant to, to saddle the, 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 the mules, the donkeys. And uh, he, he was planning to, but Ziba had slandered him. Ziba deceived, slandered him. And um, Mephibosheth said that since David uh, had done so much for him, what right did he have to ask anything more of the king? It's interesting in this section, it looks like, and I, I think we're about out of time for reading the rest of this, but it looks like in chapter 16, verse 4, that David gave Ziba, Ziba everything. So Ziba comes to meet the king. David gives him everything. But here in chapter 19, verse 29, it looks like David is saying for them to divide the land. I don't know, maybe David is modifying his direction now in chapter 19 based upon this new information from Zippa, I mean from Mephibosheth. I'm not sure. Any, any comments on that? And then Barzillai. In the last few seconds of our class, Barzillai comes to meet the king. He's 80 years old. And he had helped David and those that were with him uh, by supplying them with, with their needs. He's a very wealthy man. David asked him to come back with him. Barzillai said, no, I'm, I'm old. I can't taste. I can't, I can't do anything. You know, my servant, Shimran. And so he did. And David took Shimran with him. And he, and he kissed him and blessed him. David blessed Barzillai. Any, any comments over the lesson this evening? Okay, the next lesson, next class, 2 Samuel chapter 19, verses 41 through chapter 21, verse 14.